We are going to just, uh, I'm going to share just a concept with you tonight, uh, just a standalone concept. and not going to, I don't believe it's going to turn into a series, although I, I can't guarantee that. But, uh, uh, but my plan is just to share this concept with you tonight. And uh, it's something the Lord just kind of dropped in my spirit as I was doing some devotional reading. And uh, I was reading, and on Sunday night, I was doing my devotional reading before bed, and, and this, this scripture jumped out at me that I'm going to share with you. And since that time, the Lord's just been dealing with me about this. And so I'm going to talk to you tonight about a topic, and we're going to call this, Beware the Crowd. Beware of the Crowd. And, and that'll make more sense to you as we go along. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter number 15 and verse number 15. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 15. Jesus is on trial. He is going to be crucified. He's standing before Pilate and Pilate is making his decision now as to what he's going to do with Jesus. And he's going to to present him before the crowd. Mark had one verse, Mark 15, verse 15. Here's what it says. So Pilate, wanting to gratify, to please the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. I want you to think with me about that verse. So Pilate, Wanting to gratify, wanting to please the crowd. He brought before them and he was hoping that the crowd would choose to release Jesus. That's really what he was hoping to do. He presented to them, should I, it was their custom to release uh, one prisoner at that time. So he brought before them Barabbas who was a hardened criminal who had killed many. And then he brought before them Jesus and he said, which one should I release? And the crowd, we know, cries, give us Barabbas. They'd been stirred up by the religious leaders to do that because they wanted Jesus to be crucified. And we understand and we know that this was the whole reason Jesus had come into this world was to die for our sins. And so we understand that concept. But as I was reading, just reading through my Bible, that grabbed me. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd all of a sudden the Lord began to build a concept in me when we begin to want to please the crowd we can get in big trouble amen and when we find ourselves desiring to fit in with the crowd to please the loud noise around us bad things happen so I'm just going to walk through this with you a little bit tonight and, and, and just, we're just going to find some things. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about the premise that I'm going to share with you. And then I'm going to share with you the problem that it brings. And then I'm going to talk to you about the proof that it is a problem. And then we're going to talk about how to be proactive. So we're going to hit those real quickly tonight. And, uh, and, and just see what the Lord says to us. The crowd, the crowd. And I want you to think in your life. I want you to, now I want you to turn a switch in your mind. And I, wanna, I want us to build a bridge now from what I just read in the scripture. To our culture today. And to your world. That you live in. 
Okay, because that's what we do with scripture. We have to take scripture within context, understand how it was written and who it was written to in that moment. And then we build a bridge and we find out what the Lord is saying to us today. And we begin to learn how to apply that into our lives. So, so I want you to take that thought and that concept. When we talk about the crowd, what does that mean to you in your context, in your culture today? And we can think of a lot of things. If you, if you are on social media, you find the crowd. If you turn on the news and hear all the reports of all the protests and all the... You find the crowd. If you research the church world, you find the crowd. You you look in our politics and you find the crowd. Everywhere you look, we are surrounded by the crowds. In our own communities, we, we find the crowd. We find the voices of the masses that are trying to grab our desires and trying to cause us to please them. It may not even be so much the individuals, but the spirit often behind the crowd is not the spirit of God. I mean, let me say that again. How many of you have discovered that the spirit behind the crowd is often not the spirit of God? In fact, crowds can turn to mobs real quickly. Right? I'm not on Facebook as much. I'm I'm on Twitter more than I am on Facebook because I I just kind of like the little bites and there's not as much of the back and forth on that. But I tell Veronica, I, I, you know, and I've heard others call it that, but I call it the Twitter mob. Because, you know, it's the mob of people that as soon as something goes out, there's the mob. And they're, they're going to, you know, and it, it's, there's no recourse. They're hidden behind anonymity. They're hidden behind screens. They say whatever they want. They can be as hateful and mean as they want. They can tear down one another. Same thing on Facebook. Same thing on any type of social media. It's the crowd. It's the mob. It's everywhere. And we are being challenged as to how we are going to respond to the crowd. And sadly, many of us and many within the church is responding to the crowd the same way Pilate did. They are giving in to the desire to please the crowd. To not make waves, to not stand out, to not take a stance, to not stand for things that are right. And so we're going to talk about that. The premise I want to give you is this. I see three things that happened when Pilate, when Pilate decided he wanted to gratify the crowd. I see, I see three things that happened. First of all, I see that his desire was wrong. Because his desire was not to please God. Of course, he wasn't a Christian man, but his desire was not to please what was right or even justice. He wasn't a Christian man, of course. He wasn't a believer in Christ. He wasn't a a, a Jewish man. He wasn't a believer in God. He was a leader of Rome. But his desire was not even for justice. It wasn't for what was right. His desire was to please the crowd. And how I many you know when your desire becomes more about pleasing others 
than what is right, your desire becomes wrong. So the premise I want to give you tonight is the first thing I see happening in Pilate's life when he wanted to please the crowd, his desire was wrong. And then when your desire is wrong, you will decide wrong. Because what he did, because his desire was wrong, his desire was to please the crowd, then he, his decision making was wrong. Because then he was influenced by the crowd to come up with the wrong decision. His, his, previously, he had already been warned. Leave that man alone. <laughs> he should have listened to his wife. See, I, wasn't, I was going to... My wife's not here tonight, so I could have said that, got away with it. But I was going to... All the women, you know, our wives here would be saying, Amen, you know. He should have listened to his wife. Yeah, there you go. All right, there you go. He, he, but, but he listened to the crowd. His desire was wrong. And when his desire was wrong, his decision making was out of whack. Come on now. See, the premise is this that I'm going to talk to you about. And we're going to go to some proof of this in, a, in just a few minutes. But when your desire is wrong, your decision making mechanisms become wrong. Because you're not making decisions based on truth, based on right, based on justice, based on God. You're making decisions based out of wrong desires. And they will always lead you to bad decisions. Okay. The third thing that I see happening because, and, and let, me, let me back up just saying he decided wrong. Because he decided to let the wrong one go and keep the right one held. Amen. So, so he decided wrong. His decision came down to listen to the crowd, the mob. And he decided to let go of the one that he should have kept. And to hold on to the one that should have been let go. Amen. And the third thing that I see him doing that happens, the premise that I want to give you is this. When your desire is wrong. When your deciding becomes wrong, your deciding mechanisms become wrong because your desire is wrong, then you will inevitably do wrong. You see the pattern? See, you don't just immediately do wrong. Before you do what is wrong, there's a desire issue. And before you take action on what is wrong... There's a decision issue. Because I, I want to break, I I break some bad news to you. With every choice, you always turn to someone and tell them you always have a choice. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know. Oh, no, Pastor, I, I didn't have a choice. No, you always have a choice. Oh, I just can't help it. Mom, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. Oh, that's just how my family is. Amen. That's just, that's just how, that's how everybody in my family is. We just shoot off at the mouth. We just can't help it. No, you always turn, turn to someone and say, he said always. And he keeps saying always. You always have a choice. 
I don't care what mama did. I don't care what grandmama did or granddaddy or uncle whoever or, or, or whatever. You, you always have a choice. But your choice is going to be determined by your desire and your decisions. And that's going to lead you to your actions. This is why it is so important that we have the right desires. Because the right desires will lead you to the right actions. And will filter you through the right decisions. Now I know we don't hear a lot about this. Because we live in a world and we live in a country that we're famous for saying. Hey, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Because I just got to be me. And I'm just going to be real. And I'm just going to be who I am. And if they don't like it, it's just too bad. But if your desire is wrong... Your decision making is broken and your doing will always lead to bad results. Amen. So that's my premise. Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd. Beware of the crowd. Beware of the the loud that, that... is trying to grab your desire away from God. It's a battle for your desires and decisions and your actions. So that's the premise. Now, here's the problem with it. Here's the problem that I see with it. And, And I wrote these things down. When a crowd gathers with competing ideas, most often bad decisions are going to follow. When we put ourselves in the midst of crowds... With competing ideas, usually bad decisions follow. Now, I just want you to think with me a little bit. So, we're talking, I'm talking to believers. When you put yourself in a position to where you are always around competing ideas when it comes to spirituality and your walk with the Lord and right and wrong, and you're always surrounded by the crowd and the ideas are always competing with the belief that Christ leads us to, it will generally always lead to bad decisions. It will lead to arguments, fights, or failures. Amen. Here, here's a real simple way that my mom would say this when I was a little boy. She would say, you don't need to hang around with them. Because you're going to be led to do bad things. But mom, I want to. But they don't believe what you believe. But mom, I want to do this. And I want to fit in. And I want to go here. And I want to do. But but they don't believe what we believe. But if I hang around with competing ideas, bad decisions are going to follow. Do you believe that's a problem? How many, of you, how many of you in here have raised kids? Or are currently raising kids? Your kid may be 55 and you may still be currently raising a kid. I don't know, but you know, hey. But how many, how many is that the, the, the truth? You put yourself around. I see it all the time in new Christians. 
new Christians. They get, they come in, they get their heart right with the Lord. They have this desire. They, they have this conviction. They have this desire. But if they constantly put themselves around the crowd of competing ideas, bad decisions follow. And, and there are repercussions for bad decisions, even for Christians. Think with me for just a moment of the repercussions of this moment I read to you. Pilate, desiring to gratify the crowd, makes a horrible decision that would cost him for the rest of his life. There were people in the crowd that that were prompted to cry out, crucify him, just in the spur of the moment because they're around a crowd of competing ideas. And they make a bad decision. They go so far as to say, his blood can be upon our heads and our children's. What a bad decision. Amen? Do you see, that's what happens when, when the crowd becomes our desire. Bad decisions follow and bad decisions have repercussions. Here's another problem. When a, when a crowd gathers with competing ideas, bad decisions follow. When a crowd gathers and the crowd then is contrary to truth and decency... Bad decisions follow. Don't get caught up in crowds where truth and decency are nowhere to be found. You have no business being there. Bad things are going to happen there. Amen. I, I, I was in prison ministry, did, had the privilege of, of doing some prison ministry. Uh, when my pastor showed up, loved it, loved prison ministry. Got a captive audience. And they love to come just because, hey, it's something to do other than what they always do, right? No, no but I, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, I loved it. I made made friends and and ministered people saw god do some great works in into people's lives but but here's the thing over and over first of all you got to get past the thing that hardly no one is guilty that's in prison i mean if you talk to them hardly none of them are guilty you know everybody is in there for the wrong reason but then when you begin to press a little bit and you keep, keep talking a little bit you begin to find out that even the ones that claim they're not guilty they were in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time And how many know bad things happen when that's the place you put yourself in? So this is the problem. Okay? Here's another one. When a crowd gathers contrary to God's word and God's will, bad decisions happen. So when you find yourself in a position where where the the choices are, are contrary to God's word and God's will, only bad things are going to follow that. Okay? Don't follow crowds. Follow God. Now, this even happens in the church. We, get, we can get to where we are desiring the will of the crowd more than the will of God. It, it can even happen in the church. And, and when we get more about the crowd than we are about God, bad decisions follow. And we begin to do anything to try to draw people in. And it doesn't matter if it's what God wants or not. And bad decisions have consequences. Amen. But when the church gathers 
we see in the Word. When the church gathers in the name of the Lord, revival breaks out. He shows up in the midst. The Word goes forward. Good things happen. Amen? When the crowds come to Jesus, miracles occur. When the desire is for the crowd, bad things happen. Amen. That's pretty good stuff. See, if you will follow God rather than the desire for the crowds, good things can happen in your life. Do you know the godly moves in our world, they start and they continue within one life? Spread within a few people? Spread to the remnant? And then God can do amazing things. But it starts in the midst of of the few. Jesus said, broad's the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So that's the problem. Now, let me give you a little bit of proof about this. Because you may not believe me, just me saying it. But let me give you some biblical proof that will prove the problem is accurate and the premise is right. The premise that I'm talking to you about is when you, are, when you are wanting to gratify the crowd, it will cause your desires to be wrong, your decisions to be wrong, and you'll ultimately do wrong. And so the problem, now let me give you the proof. Moses was up on the mountain with God. He was up receiving the Ten Commandments, the structure of what God was going to put together, the law that was going to represent God. He, he's, he's up there. I mean, he's having this communion with God that is just amazing. And the crowd at the bottom of the mountain tells Aaron, the high priest, tell, tells him, make us an idol that we could worship. Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. We think he's dead. Make us an idol like the others so that we have something that we can tangibly see and worship. And Aaron gives in to the crowd. Right? He gave in to the crowd, took all the gold, put it together and made what? The gold cap. Right? And they worshiped. They danced around and they were having a time. Joshua says, I hear a sound like of a Something bad happening down there. And Moses, God then speaking to him said, No, it's not, it's not anything good. This is bad. Right? We know the story goes down. We know, we know the reaction. But when he, when he confronts Aaron, Aaron said, The people. Right? The people wanted me to do this. The crowd My desire was to gratify the crowd. That's not what he said, but that's that's where his decision making was at. And that's what his actions did. Was to his it proved where his desire was, and and you do you know bad things happened? They died. Multitudes died on that day because of the the problem. Okay, what about Saul? You know the first king of Israel. When the people wanted a king, 
Saul was made king. During his reign, Samuel tells Saul to go to battle and to wipe out the Amalekites. The prophet of God tells the king, you go and you wipe them out. All of them. And, and we can question and you can say, well, I don't understand how could God be that cruel. Here, here's, what, here's what's hit me as I've talked with this about people. They say, how could God be so cruel? And, and, and here's what. Think of how merciful God is to us today. Think of how deviant and how bad and how wicked and how evil people and nations must have been. For God to have to take such drastic measures to keep his plan alive. And the prophet said, don't leave any of them. What did Saul do? Saul and the people decided they were going to keep Agag alive. So they keep the king alive. Samuel comes and, and says, well... What happened? And Saul said, oh, it was great. We had a great victory. Everything was good. And and Samuel says, well, what is this that I'm hearing? Why is the king still alive? Why are some of the flocks still here? What is this? You didn't obey what God... And and Saul says, the people and I decided. And guess what happened to him? The kingdom was stripped from him for disobedience. What about Lot? He's traveling with Abraham. They get too big. His family, their families are too big. They're contentions, fighting with one another. So they need to separate. So God leads Abraham to tell him, you choose one way, I'll go the other way. I don't care which way you choose. You choose one way, I'll go the other. What does Lot do? He looks up. He sees the best land out in the valleys, in the plains. And he chooses the best land for him. And he goes down. And the Bible says that he looked toward Sodom. And then it says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then the next time we see him, he's in the gate of Sodom. And then the next time we see him, he's living in the city of Sodom. So much so that Peter, when he writes, in, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, That, that, was it? I think it was Peter in Peter where he's writing. When he says that, that wicked city vexed that righteous man's soul every day. But he went with the crowd rather than with God. And bad things followed. Well, let's go to the New Testament real quickly. Paul talks about in, in, in the New Testament a time where the Gentiles are coming to the Lord and things are rocking along and Galatians chapter 2 he talks about it and he says there came a moment that I had to contend with Peter to his face because Peter was being a hypocrite because when the Jews weren't around, Peter was loving on the Gentiles, the church, accepting them as the church. But the minute some of the Jews arrived with him, he began to hold back and withstand because of the crowd. And Paul said, I had to withstand him to his face. I had to tell him. And they had to come to a repentance moment because that was not what God had called them to do at that time. Come on, come on, someone. 
See, bad things happen, and, and I, I, that's, there's proof of this. It's over and over in the Bible. When you beware of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the most amount of voices has nothing to do with the rightness of what is being said. Fact, in our culture today, what I'm discovering is most of the time, almost nearly all of the time, I can't say all the time, but most of the time, the most voices are wrong. Because we've come into a day that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 5 and 20 where it says they're going to, they're going to call good evil and evil good. They're going to exchange bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. How many know? Come on, are y'all, are y'all out there? How many know we're living in that right now? We are living in that. We, we are being told that everything that was good, everything that was right, everything was decent has been turned on its ear. And now it's all wrong. And, and the majority say this. Amen. Beware of the crowd. So, so there's my premise and there's the problem and there's the proof. So what can we do to be proactive? Because that's what we really need to focus on. So once we discern, discern, discern and determine that we need to beware the crowd. What do we need to do? Because now we understand. Now you're accountable. Okay, all, all I'm accountable to do is to give you the word as God gives me. And now you and I both now are accountable with what we do with the word. So now I've given you the premise and I've given you the problem. And I've given you the proof to show that it's true. So now what do we need to do? This is, this is where we will, this hopefully will become practical for us. How can we be proactive? Here's what we need to do. Here's how to beware the crowd. Number one, and you might want to write these down because this might be something you need to revisit when you're here in the crowd and when you find yourself in the crowd and you find yourself the voice of the crowd being loud. The first thing is, you better know the word. Because the crowd probably doesn't care about the word the crowd cares about their desire their pleasure what they want and we better know the word so number one we need to know the word paul prays for the church at ephesus and he in chapter one and he says my prayer for you is the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you would know amen that you would know. Philippians chapter 3, he talks again. That you would know. That we would know the power of his resurrection. That we would know the inheritance of the saints. That, that, that we would know the goodness of God, right? That, that we would have an understanding of who he is and what he's accomplished. And, and guys, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is it is imperative that you know the word and that you know the word for yourself. Because I may not be with you in the crowd. You may find yourself in the midst of crowds that your Christian leaders and even friends sometimes aren't, aren't there. And if you don't know the word, you are defenseless to the crowd. 
Amen. Know the word. Number two, you must stand in faith. Even in the face of the crowd. So you got to know the word because here's the thing. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing what? By the word. You got to know the word. And then when you know the word, then you have to stand in faith. Then faith comes from the word. And so this is vital. Okay? We, we have to stand. Verse, uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 14. After having put on the armor, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. You've got to stand. See, our world does not need us to waver. Our world needs us to stand in faith upon the word, even in the face of the crowd. Now, is that easy? No. But I've already proved to you that there's a problem that occurs when we desire to gratify the crowd. So, therefore, we have to stand in faith. The third thing, we need to follow the Spirit. These are are basic principles, but these are principles that will cause us to be able to overcome the crowds. So we have to follow then the Spirit. The, The Word tells us that if we will walk in the Spirit, that there will be something that will happen. Anybody know what that is? If you walk in the Spirit... You will what? Hold on, what? You'll what? Not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You mean there's a way to not fulfill the desire of the flesh? The flesh represents our flesh. The flesh represents the crowd. And there's a way to not fulfill that? Yes. Walk in the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. When you have that conviction... Don't push it aside. When the Spirit says no, don't waver. When the Spirit says danger, don't keep pressing in. Amen. I, I tell my wife, I taught, we, we taught my daughter, and young, young ladies certainly need to, when, when you're out somewhere and something doesn't feel quite right, you listen to that. Our, our young men should be the same way. Equal opportunity here. So yeah, you know. Just, but in, in my particular, I would, you know, I was always pounding that into my daughter. If you're out somewhere and something doesn't feel right, or you're out with somebody and something doesn't feel right, first of all, you call dad. <laughs> Amen. We'll make sure it's right. But if you don't feel something is right, you better listen to that. Come on, how many know we would stay out of a lot of trouble if we just listened to the Spirit? Because here's the thing, He'll tell us. How many of you have ever, how many of you are bold enough to admit that you've ever done something, taken an action, knowing that there was something in you telling you not to do it, and you just pushed on and did it, and bad things happened? Amen. I'm, I'm guilty. 
See, we need to know the Spirit. We need to follow the Spirit. See, the, the Pilate's wife was trying to warn him that he wouldn't follow that. He wanted to gratify the crowd. So you've got to follow the Spirit. And then the last thing is, you ready for this one? You've got to do what is right. Micah 6 and 8 tells us, do what is right, love mercy, mercy, walk humbly with God. You just, you just got to do the right thing. You just got to make a choice and do the right thing. I don't care what the crowd's doing, right? Again, I'll go back to my childhood. Well, I'm going to go do this, Mom. And Mom would always say, and I hated it. Well, if they go jump off a bridge, are you going to do that too? <laughs> everybody's doing it, Mom. My mom's favorite thing to say to me was, I would say, everybody's doing it. They'd say, not everybody's doing it, son, because I'm not doing it and you're not doing it. <laughs> so not everybody's doing it. I hated that. But she had some wisdom. Amen. You see, sometimes you just got to do Christians. Christians, do what is right. Yes. Yeah. We might ought to hang that on the door as it go in and out out there. If you do better and know better, do better. That, that's not, it's really not hard. The hard part is, where is your desire? Standing for truth and right and doing right is not hard if your desire's right. That's why the Bible is so full of saying, love God. Come back to your first love. Have a passion for God. Because if your desire's right, your doing will be right. Amen. Now I know we can, you're, you may be sitting there thinking, boy, I wish so and so was here to hear this, but you're here to hear this. Okay? So you do right first. Lead the way in doing right. Lead the way in be, being aware of the crowd and, and beware of the crowd. Check your desires. Who are you wanting to please? See, let me, let me say this to you. Being a Christian, you are not going to please the majority of people. You're not. Because being a Christian is a, is a denial of yourself. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they have to deny themselves, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, we, we don't teach this we don't, because, it, because it doesn't appeal to the masses. I mean, you know, you're, you're, probably, you're probably not going to have the largest crowd when you preach on denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. But you're going to have the most effective crowd if they apply that in their life. And somebody's got to lead the way in this. And so it needs to be us. And there's just something in that that hit me. I heard a statement. I've, I, someone I follow on Twitter and I heard a statement, and there was this big debate going on. And I'm not, I'm not getting into the, the politics of it. Forget that stupidity. But the statement grabbed me. You'll recognize the statement. It's a very political, politicized statement right now. But the question was, well, when was America great? 
Okay, so forget the politics of it. I I don't give one care one way or the other on your thoughts on that. Here's what I want to. Here's what I want to say though. Here's what hit me. I read that, and here's what hit me. I'll tell you when America was great. America is great when America is in revival. We, we were we were founded on some principles, but let me tell you the truth about America. Even though the principles were right, we did not equally share those principles with everyone in America. The principles were right. But we didn't equally share for a long time. There were people that were ostracized and left out of that equality. Come on now. So, so, but here's what did happen. When America was in revival, America was great. And the great awakenings that hit here, America was great. Because then all of a sudden there's unity again. People are coming together and everybody's invited into that. Oh, come on now. Are y'all... See, because somebody got a right desire. And we want to sit around and we want to argue with the crowds. Both sides and all all of our sides. And I I want to tell you, I believe the Lord is saying, Hey, church, get your minds out of the crowds. I believe the Lord is saying, Hey, church, why don't you just come follow me and lead the way? Amen. Beware the crowds. Jesus even, the word teaches us a novice needs to be very careful being promoted. Because when the crowds promote, then the crowds hold the power. Amen. We need to be seasoned because you've got to know how to handle the crowds. Because, you know, even in ministry, I remember as a young minister, it felt really good to preach a message. And people come out and say, oh, you did a great job. Right? I've heard that a few times and, and I've heard the other side of that a few times. <laughs> that, that side wasn't near as fun. Amen. But either way, if I'm preaching the Word and I'm being the man God called me to be, I'm doing this for Him and I'm not doing this for the crowds. We want to affect the crowds. But we don't we don't want to please the crowds. Amen. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Maybe the Lord just wants to check us all. Me first. Yes, they do. No. Yes. 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 Yeah, and then He puts us together in Him. And we come together with people of like precious faith what is that that means faith in Christ that doesn't mean like precious faith does not mean that we all think exactly the same and have all the same doctrinal statements written down in our in our little book somewhere like precious faith means Jesus is Lord and preeminent amen and we follow him one at a time. Then he puts us together. And he calls our name. And we follow him. If we follow the crowd and not the Lord. We will make bad decisions. Peter. And I'm going to close. Stand your feet with me. Peter. Pilate says. Which one do I give you? Wanting to please the crowd. On the 
outskirts of that moment. We find the leader that will be the leader of the early church. Standing on the outskirts of that moment. His name is Peter. Just a few hours earlier, he's saying, Lord, I won't ever deny you. I'll die for you. These others, these guys, guys, they'll leave you. Taylor, she'll run off. First sign of a problem. But I'm going to stick it out. Just a few hours later, he's on the outskirts. And the crowd is out there whispering and talking and doing their thing. And a young girl says, hey, you were one of them. And all of a sudden, big Peter had a choice to make. But his desire was not with Christ. It was with the crowd. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not. And that wasn't enough to stop him. I mean, I would like to think, I'm hard-headed. And I'm not the brightest bulb in the, you know, tray. But I would like to think, if Jesus said, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times before it crows twice, you know, before it happened. And if he'd have told me that, and then I find myself out there, and, and one time, and I'm denying him, I'm hoping that I'm smart enough to think, Oh, no, this is not the right way to go. (laughs) Right? Not Peter. He gets away from there a little bit, and then he's confronted again. You're one of them. Your speech gets... No, no, not me. And then the third time, you, you were with him. And the Bible says he's cursed. Swore. Not me. And when he did... rooster crow and all of a sudden he realized I have followed the crowd and not the Lord and the Bible says he ran off and he wept bitterly amen and he repented Jesus brought him back just like he will us thank God for mercy and grace but beware the crowd whatever that means to you whatever reason the Lord had for you to hear that tonight Beware the crowd. Because it can lead you to bad decisions. 